This is episode number 175 with president and editor at KD Nuggets, Gregory Pitayetsky Shapiro. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and today I've got a very exciting guest for you on the show, the legendary Gregory Pitetsky Shapiro, who is the founder of KD Nuggets, is joining us. I actually met Gregory quite a while ago. It was over a year ago in May 2017 at the ODSC conference where we chatted and I invited him to the podcast, but it took this long for us to uh, organize everything and now he's finally come on the show. If you don't know who Gregory is, then this will just put things into perspective for you. KD Nuggets is one of the most popular data science resources out there. Uh, it aggregates news on data science, they provide their own articles, they um, conduct polls on data science and many, many more exciting things in the space of data science. They've been around since 1997 and Here's another perspective for you. Gregory has 256,000 followers on LinkedIn. So that should just tell you of what kind of an influencer in the space of data science Gregory is and how much he's actually contributed to the community, how many things he's given back to the space. And today we are with great pleasure welcoming him on the show. So in today's podcast, what will we be talking about? Today we're going to cover off quite a few topics. Of course, we'll go through the foundations of KD Nuggets, a very exciting, very interesting story of how it all started, uh, where um, Gregory began his journey into the space and what KD Nuggets has grown into. But also we will cover off some of the more recent advances that have been happening in the space of data science that KD Nuggets has been highlighting or has been participating in. So for instance, we'll talk about uh, the whole concept of data science being the sexiest profession of the 21st century and what has it turned into now and what role is machine learning playing in there. We'll also talk about um, what the new GDPR regulations in Europe mean for data scientists, uh, the global data protection um, regulation which was came into play in Europe earlier this year. We'll also talk about GDPR, the new European data protection regulation which came into play earlier this year. It's a change that, uh, it's one of the first changes in decades in the European uh, data pr uh, protection regulations. Uh, we'll talk about the concept of a citizen a data scientist, we'll talk about reinforcement learning and quite a lot of other very exciting uh, things. As you can imagine, uh, Gregory has sees all these new updates in the space of data science on a daily basis. He is uh, the uh, editor for KD Nuggets, so all these articles that you're seeing on KD Nuggets actually go through him, and uh, today he's sharing his best and most exciting insights with us. So all in all, a very exciting episode full of most recent technological advancements and interesting stories on how this all came to be can't wait for you to check it out so let's dive straight into it and without further ado i bring to you gregory pateski shapiro founder and editor at kd nuggets welcome ladies and gentlemen to the super data science podcast today i've got a very exciting guest gregory pateski shapiro on the phone gregory welcome to the show how are you today Thank you, Kirill. I'm excited to be here. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Well, it's so wonderful to have you. Like we met in May 2000, what was it, 17? No, I think, no, May 2000, yeah, 17. So last year in May, and it's been over a year, and I've been wanting to get you on the show for a year now, and finally uh, we're here. This is super, super exciting. Gregory, where, um, where are you located right now? So I'm in Boston. Mm -hmm. Massachusetts. 
Is that is that uh, actually? I'm, yep. Uh, I'm uh, working at home, so we have uh, beautiful sunny weather, mm. uh, and uh, you know all of all of my cats. Uh, I think are outside as a you know data scientist and the geek. I am. I do have the cats, but <laughs> hopefully they don't they don't interfere in in the middle of this conversation. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, I was just about to ask that. That is your uh home home base boston is that correct uh yes yes okay wonderful and it's so great to hear that you got sunny weather in boston today last time i was there when it was uh in may last year it was um surprisingly chilly and uh yeah so it's it's good to hear that the weather is is nice today all right so let's uh let's dive straight into um the podcast so gregory you are the founder and director of president and editor of kd nuggets a very popular data science um, media outlet and uh, news aggregator and uh, research um, like a, a platform that shares research about data science and you've been uh, running this uh, platform for 21 years now tell us a little bit about how it all started where did this idea come from yes thank you so um Probably, as I started, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was very fascinated by science fiction, and I loved stories about robots, especially, you know, from Isaac Asimov and other writers like Stanislav Lem and Brothers Strugatsky that are less known in the West. And I was always curious about the idea of AI, and this probably motivated me to learn uh, computers when, you know, they first appeared. And in my first uh, year in college, when computers were still programmed with punch cards, I remember spending several weeks of my free time in the summer writing a program to play uh, battleships, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which was still a very advanced uh, program for that period. And, and then I used APL. That mm -hmm. was a special language developed by ABM. It's an array programming language, and it had special symbols Mm -hmm. for every different array operation. You can think of it as like R, but with Greek letters. And after spending several weeks programming it, I played one game and I was very soundly defeated by my <laughs> own program. Okay. And uh, I think as a result, I became much more interested in creating programs than playing them. Mm. Um, so um, I did my undergraduate, I studied for undergraduate degree in mathematics and then I came to United States uh, to study computer science at NYU and I got my PhD in applying machine learning to databases uh, kind of the idea was a self-organizing database system that automatically selects different indices and does something intelligent so then uh, I worked uh, at GT as a researcher GT was a large telephone company in the United States. Now it is part of Verizon, which is even you know larger telephone company. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, around uh, 1986 or so, I attended a workshop which was called Expert Database System. So that was a very interesting name, but the concept was very fuzzy, and the workshop papers and talks were all over the place. Mm -hmm. So. I thought we could focus on something more clearly defined, analyzing databases and finding interesting patterns. Uh, in one of our projects with, that we did on um, applying uh, some intelligent method to federated databases, and I discovered that a particular query would run uh, 10,000 times faster if we knew that there was a particular rule that kind of functional constraint that always existed. So. There were some obvious applications. Can you find some useful rules and databases? Mm -hmm. So um, I was, you know, at that time, young, energetic, and naive, and I thought that I could organize a better workshop. And at that time, a popular term was data mining. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to note, just as an aside, how the terminology changes and reflects the time. I mean, it went from, like, data fishing and data dredging, which were bad terms, then data mining became semi-popular term. And uh, now the popular term is you know, data science or 
and uh, maybe until last year, and now it's machine learning and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. But in any case, uh, so I organized a workshop. I thought data mining was not sexy enough, so came up with the name Knowledge Discovery in Data, or KDD. Mm -hmm. So that was the first workshop back in 1989, which attracted, I think, about 70 people, including several leading researchers. Mm, wow. Then I organized a couple of couple of more workshops, and uh, later, in uh, 1994, one of my uh, best ideas was uh, to stop doing it myself and to uh, recruit Usama Fayyad, who was then just a fresh PhD from Ann Arbor, and uh, his uh, advisor, Samutur Usami, was then uh, a researcher at General Motors, and they agreed to run 94 workshop. So then, next year, they uh, made that workshop into a conference, and later, uh, with the help of uh, Won Kim, who was the chair of CKDD then, SIGMOD, and he uh, was very experienced uh, with ACM, that's a leading professional organization, Association for Computing Machinery, and so we created a special interest group, CKDD, that was running KDD conference, and uh, still running uh, until today. So I think we've had about uh, 22 KDD conferences since then, and very pleased to say that KDD remains the leading research conference in the field based on citations and, and other indices. Mm -hmm. And now I can uh, sort of stand back after many years of organizing, I'm not involved, so I can, like a grandparent, enjoy <laughs> the baby uh, doing very well. Mm -hmm. So so that was kind of one track of my activity. And uh, how did I get to where I am? So after uh, third KDD workshop, I decided to uh, send a newsletter to people who attended the workshop, and I called it you know, Knowledge Discovery Nuggets. And uh, the first issue, which is still online, went to I think about 50 people who attended that workshop. And now uh, it's uh, almost 25 years, actually 25 years later. Uh, so KD Nuggets has about 200,000 subscribers and followers across uh, email, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. And our website gets about uh, 500,000 visitors a month. Wow. Congratulations. So that's, big, that's huge. Big growth. Uh, thank you. Uh, and but we, you know, we focus on analytics, data science, and machine learning. And if I try to talk to uh, my people, you know, as a as a data scientist at heart, I just try to select, you know, a few interesting things to write about or uh, select things on the web that we can we can publish. So, so I guess that was a kind of a second uh, track mm -hmm. of my career, uh, and um, in in parallel, um, you know, when uh, you know, being uh, organizing conferences and publishing newsletter was not a full-time activity, and also, you know, all the conference organizing I've I've done was always as a volunteer activity. So it was, uh, you know, never received any payment for it. But mm -hmm. you know, probably was one of the more rewarding things that I've done because I enjoyed. Uh, you know, it, dealing with interesting people and, you know, helping to put uh, good things together. Uh, but another interesting thing that I've been doing uh, in terms of research and data mining involved uh, uh, consulting and, and being involved in the world of startups. So in 1997, uh, which was still the early part of the dot-com rush, I left the GT Research Lab, and I joined a startup that was doing analytics, data mining, consulting for financial industry, mainly banks and insurance companies. And, you know, we worked with some of the largest names like uh, Credit Suisse, Chase, Manhattan, Citibank. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was uh, a chief scientist and managed a small team of perhaps about 10 people. Then in around 2000, our smaller startup was bought by a big startup 
And for a very short period of time, the value of that big startup exceeded $1 billion. It, wow. it became the wanted, the wanted unicorn. Mm. Uh, but before anyone, uh, including me, could do anything foolish with the stock options, the largest startup uh, stock crashed almost all the way down to zero. Um, and uh, I left it in 2001, I think maybe a couple of months before this, that stock went all the way to zero. Uh -huh. uh, and I was self-employed uh, since uh, about 2001. Uh -huh. Mainly publishing KD Nuggets and doing consulting in data mining. So I think one interesting lesson uh, for you know all the younger people listening is is synergy. Mm -hmm. So um, in my case, I've done this three parallel and mutually supporting activities as a research and consultant in data mining, as a founder and chair of KDD conferences or, you know, publish editor of KD Nuggets news and website. And each one of those activities was in some way helping the other. Mm -hmm. uh, I know, Kirill, that you're also teaching courses and you have a very nice book, Confident Data Skills. Thank you, yes. And probably do, doing other things. So I guess uh, probably, you know, helpful suggestion for young people that try to do uh, interesting things is to and kind of think, is there a synergy with this activity with some other things? You know, if, it, if there is not, then maybe it's not uh, the best uh, thing to do. Mm -hmm. There is synergy, it generally helps you to succeed. Yes. And, and just to finish on this, in the last few years, uh, I think maybe writing the big data and data science with KD Nuggets became so popular that I stopped consulting them. Now only publish KD Nuggets, and we have a uh, have another um, excellent full-time editor named Matthew Mayo, mm -hmm. um, based in Canada, and we have several interns uh, based in in London uh, and other places. So KD Nuggets is is global in its reach. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Gotcha. Wow, that's that's such a interesting career, and I love that you mentioned that uh, wonderful takeaway from from your career for those listening about synergy I, t I can totally agree with that that when you're working on a and b you should be aiming to make sure that a plus b is more than just a plus b it's a plus b plus an extra value so it's not like one plus one equals two if you truly have a synergy in the things that you're working on one plus one equals three or four or five because they complement each other and they help your audience and they um, you know help you propel your career forward so that's that's a very interesting takeaway and I, I definitely uh, can agree that looking back unconsciously I've probably done that I can see that I've done that in my own career but that was always unconscious I was like just like a gut feel but if you think about it consciously I think you can make much faster progress in in the things that you're doing and how you're going ahead forward um, so thank you, and uh, it's really exciting to hear that KD Nuggets has uh, got so many followers, 200,000 subscribers and 500,000 uh, visitors per month. That is, that is truly astonishing numbers. Um, you mentioned that you have, like you uh, select those blog posts. How many blog posts do you publish on KD Nuggets? How frequently do they come out? Well, we publish uh, every weekday. Mm -hmm. uh, and we try to select maybe two or three interesting blog posts a day. Mm -hmm. And uh, most now we get a lot of submissions. Uh, occasionally, you know, myself and uh, Matthew may we also write our own editorial pieces. And uh, if we see some interesting blog posts around the web, then we also ask uh, the authors for reposting those as guest blogs on KD Nuggets. But right. you know, there's so much stuff on the web that we try to select only a small number, maybe two or three mm -hmm. per day. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's quite a lot as well already. That makes it, you know, 10, 10 or 15 or more per week. That's, that's quite a lot. So how, how do you find the time to go through all of them? Like you probably get a ton of submissions sent to you. How many submissions do you get just out of curiosity? Uh, well, it, it's hard to say, but I think we um, prob probably get something like three, 
three to five submissions per day. Mm-hmm. Not a very large number because we have uh, clear guidelines and we also uh, focus on more technical submissions. Mm-hmm. So our audience is mainly data scientists and you know, machine learning engineers. So we will not publish something like why your business should use data science. I assume our readers already know, but you know we would publish something that explains you know how to create a pipeline uh, in uh, Python or you know some uh, ideas how to use PyTorch or Keras mm-hmm. uh, or maybe some interesting uh, polls that uh, I run every month or so. Mm-hmm. There are some interesting observations, like our recent poll, uh, most popular annual poll on what is the software that you use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been running this poll actually since 2001, amazingly. Mm. Mm, wow. So this is yeah, this is a 19th, uh, 2000s. This is a 19th such poll. So now the latest poll results show that there is kind of a clear ecosystem emerging around, you know, Python. Uh, Spark, Anaconda, and TensorFlow now is becoming a kind of integral part of data science uh, toolbox. And um, Python seems to have uh, moved significantly ahead of R. Mm-hmm. There are a lot more tools that use Python than R. Mm-hmm. And then there are some other interesting observations that your readers can see on Katie Nugget's blog. Oh, wonderful! So, um, is it like is it just like on the main page of the blog, or is there a specific page for all these insights? Because well, on the main on the main menu, we have a section uh, called uh, top stories, and if you scroll there, then you you will find all, all those blogs, kind of all the more okay. interesting things. That's so cool. Uh, being yeah, being data scientists, we always analyze the results, so we always like to see what's more popular and. And publish separate posts with just the top stories. Okay, gotcha. Wow, this is really cool. I'm on, I'm on the page right now, and yeah, highly recommend for people to check it out. It's kdnuggets.com, and then you can at the top find top stories and look through those. All right, wow, that's that's really interesting. Very powerful insight. Um, and actually, I was reading before today's uh, podcast. I was reading your recent, most recent uh, blog um, about why data science is no longer the sexiest profession of uh, the 21st century, even though it's still very satisfactory, uh, there's a new profession that is the sexiest. Do you mind sharing a little bit on that with us? Um, sure. So we've recently done a poll of our readers, uh, and I think we asked uh, them basically, what's your uh, title and how satisfied are you? From mm-hmm. you know, very satisfied, which we converted to class two, to very unsatisfied, which we converted to minus two. And uh, surprisingly, kind of the most satis- profession with the highest job satisfaction was machine learning engineer. Mm. Uh, which, well, you know, as a uh, researcher, I have to say that, you know, the average satisfaction was like 0.7 and the standard deviation was around one. So it's not like all the machine learning engineers were highly satisfied. I mean, there was still a lot of unsatisfied them. But on average, I mean, there was a significant difference between the highest job satisfaction for this profession, machine learning engineer, and the second and third place, which were researcher and data scientist. Mm -hmm. Data scientist is still the most common job title. I see that on the web and requests and, you know, on, on job ads that we get on KD Nuggets. But uh, kind of there is more uh, coming, more re- requests, more demand coming for uh, people with machine learning engineer skills. And I guess the difference uh, I would describe as, you know, machine learning engineer is building machine learning systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably they now use deep learning. Mm-hmm. Uh and data scientists perhaps do more uh, work on analyzing the data, kind of trying to understand what is happening with companies, not, not necessarily building production systems. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, very, very interesting. So that's a little hint, I guess, to our 
listeners, if you uh, like, uh, if you're looking for the new data scientist of the you know the, the job that's coming to take on the data scientist, it might be the machine learning engineer. Uh, very interesting. Thank you for that. Um, all right, and uh, so I wanted to ask you um, a couple of questions. So you've obviously had like a very uh, diverse and interesting and uh, career, like a career filled with uh, lots of different roles and different engagements and different things that, that you've worked on that you've done. Uh, I just wanted to find out some of the highlights. So what is a recent win that you can share with us, something that you've had in your role, something that you're proud of? Well, I'll, I'll mention maybe a couple of interesting things. Uh, maybe they're not as recent, mm -hmm. but uh, still very instructive. I think one of the uh, most interesting projects that I worked on when I was still at GT Laboratory was called the Key Findings Reporter, or mm -hmm. which we call Kefir. It was a system for analysis and summarization of key, ch key changes uh, in large databases, and we applied it to healthcare data. And then healthcare in the United States is, uh, is a scandal and also very, very expensive. I think uh, we spent here at twice as much as that as other industrialized countries mm -hmm. per capita with no better results. And, you know, trying to understand where all that money goes is essential part of the equation. So our system automatically analyzed changes in all relevant variables, and it selected the important ones, and it um, was combined with a small expert system to add recommendations uh, about what to do about the changes, like, for example, if you have a particular type of medical problem, then it, the expert system would recommend uh, how to solve it. It presented visualization, and it looked at changes and trends. Mm -hmm. So one, uh, one good way to identify what changes are more important is always look at changes. For example, if you just look at associations, can find a huge number of significant associations in data. Mm -hmm. So how do you filter the important ones? You look at ones that change over time. Like what is true in this period and was not true in the previous period. Mm -hmm. So it was was all combined in, in one very nice system. And we did, it was applied to all of GT healthcare data and it identified some uh, significant potential savings. We did win, you know, highest uh, technical award from GT. Mm, wow. uh, unfortunately, uh, I guess I would still regard it as a failure because the system was not deployed. Mm. So um, why is that? Probably, probably that's you know connected. I think to another uh, question that we discussed. You know, what's the most difficult thing to do? And and I think the most difficult challenge in uh, my work as data scientist was. Uh, getting the results deployed because mm -hmm. that requires change in organizational culture and support from the top. So in case of, you know, Kiefer, the system was excellent technically, but there was no place for it for, in the organization. Mm -hmm. It was not clear who would use it, uh, how it would affect, um, you know, the, the work of people who were analyzing healthcare data. So, uh, that is probably the fate of uh, many kind of data science projects. You can easily build a great prototype, but unless there is a clear way to deployment and support from the organization, it, it is still a failure. Yeah, okay, so I that, see. Uh, so that's, uh, uh, I guess, an another interesting story I can say, uh, I've, you know, I worked on many different projects. Probably the ones I enjoyed the most was working on bioinformatics data. Uh, and I had one project where we worked with a mass spectrometry data, mm. uh, trying to develop early indicators of Alzheimer. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there are, the problem with analyzing biological data is you have a huge number of variables. You could have 20,000 different compounds, but you don't have a large number of uh, 
patients. And typically, you could get maybe a hundred, several hundred patients. And so you imagine you have a hundred records, and for each record, you have 20,000 variables. It creates very significant problems in determining what's significant and what is just random noise. You know, in that particular case, we did discover very strong biomarkers. In fact, they were hundred percent accurate, mm. and there were, and there was I think like dozen of them, and one of them actually had biological significance because it, it was like vitamin C. So our initial results suggested that like, people who had more vitamin C were less likely to get Alzheimer. And even though, you know, my intuition as a data scientist told me, beware of perfect results, mm -hmm. like this was a rule that was 100% correct. So it doesn't matter how you clean the data, if it's 100% correct, it would still be 100% correct. But um, we, so we, when I told it, uh, myself and my friends, we all started to drink more vitamin, more orange juice and vitamin C, but... <laughs> We're still skeptical about the results, but you know the only way to test them was to get another population. So we did that, and we found that probably the original data was contaminated in in some form. Mm. So that uh, I guess all don't trust the results if they're too good. That would be kind of a useful a useful lesson. Uh, Probably the most success that we had in uh, my career data mining consulting was when we help, had to help organizations make some strategic decisions. So we would examine, uh, you know, whether they should use uh, this particular strategy or that one. And uh, so some of those of this work was deployed, but uh, you know, as a consultant, I cannot tell you unfortunately any of the details. But I I know that there were kind of payoff of uh, I think seven digits based on our results. So, wow. but the, those results were easy to deploy because it was like do this decision A or do decision B. Mm -hmm. It didn't require changing the entire organization structure. Okay, gotcha. Okay, Th thank you very much. That's uh, that's interesting. So we just talked about the. Um, the wins and the challenges and I appreciate you sharing your experience like it's sometimes uh, difficult to you know um, share experiences where like especially if it's a project that like the one you're working on uh, for the key findings reporter uh, where you're working on it for a long time and you're really proud of the result but it's not deployed but it it is a great example for our listeners especially for those starting out of some challenges that uh, they might come across and so um, even so in this case the takeaway is that even if your project is great and you see that it's got a lot of value you you it might come the situation might occur in such a way that it might not be deployed in the end and that shouldn't like of course you you should do as much as you can in order to uh, try to avoid the situation but if it does happen then don't let it bring you down it sometimes happens and you know even to to the best people in the industry. And also the other example was also great where the results are too good, right? So sometimes it's important, even in data science, sometimes intuition plays an important role. So like you said, when the results for that vitamin C example were too good, you your intuition was saying that don't uh, trust the results if they're too good. And um, that's, that's also, I think it's also a good thing to look out for if your results are too good to be true, then you know, find another place to check them, verify them, and uh, re make sure that the test or the example is is repeatable. Um, all right, so we talked about something that, uh, you know, the, the wins, and we talked about the challenges. How about, what is your one most favorite thing about being a data scientist? What's the one most favorite thing that's kept you going through this career for uh, more than 20 years? Well, I really enjoy the process of, uh, exploratory data analysis and visualization, uh, analyzing the data, running you know, different algorithms. What does the data reveal? It's like discovery of new and unknown lands. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, curiosity is an essential trait for, for a good data scientist. Mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, you know, along with discovering something, I now I try to see what's the best way to visualize and present it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, especially for example, if I'm looking at uh, data for uh, recent KD Nuggets polls, there are many ways to organize it, and I'm thinking of what, what is a good story that I that the data says, and what is a good image that is worth a thousand words in a story. So generally, um, I think the probably the most useful thing to read, and I think I even read uh, a study somewhere that confirmed that is uh, captions on images. Mm-hmm. So if you know if uh, a picture is worth a thousand words, then a caption, a good caption on that image may be worth you know, ten thousand words. So think, mm-hmm. think of kind of how to present the data, present the story, and visualize it and describe the image that you just presented. Okay, thank you. That's uh, it's a uh, definitely one of my favorite parts as well of data science. Um, Okay, well, Gregory, I know that you will need to go very soon, so I'm, I'm, I want to really jump to the part where I'm very curious, as you said, an important part of being a data scientist is curiosity. Well, I'm very curious to get your answer uh, to the following question. It's like a, it's a philosophical question, one I ask very often on the podcast, almost every time, always get def- different answers, different people have different perspectives, and the reason why I'm so curious to get your perspective on this is because of the amount of experience you have in the field, uh, your worldview and how it's developed over time. And on top of that, like you just interact with so many people with the hundreds of thousands of followers, you influence them, uh, you reply to the comments, okay, D-Nuggets, you get these emails, you you have aggregated so much, uh, such a wealth of information in the space. So here goes. Where do you think? So, from all this experience, from all from everything you've seen in the field of data science, where do you think the field of data science and analytics is going? And what should our listeners prepare for to be ready for the future that's coming? Well, thank you, Kirill. Uh, I think that's a that's a great question. I guess as data scientists, we should always uh, try to predict the future, <laughs> uh, and uh, as a you know, data scientists with a lot of experience, I can say that we are not very good at predicting human trends. Mm. Uh, but I'll, I'll try nevertheless. All right. So um, what I see now is, you know, data science is becoming part of a kind of larger machine learning and AI field, which is really uh, progressing very fast, you know, capabilities especially in deep learning, are growing at amazing rate. Like every day we see some uh, really amazing stuff, uh, like this recent Google Duplex demonstration Mm. where they had uh, completely human quality uh, calls with unsuspecting humans. But I think AI hype uh, is growing even faster than AI capabilities. So, you know, beware of the hype, I guess that would be one warning. Um, second recent important events uh, is a GDPR. This is the European General Data Protection Directive that took effect on May 25th this year. And uh, it seems to have pushed companies even outside of Europe to revise their privacy policy to conform to GDPR. And the good part for consumers, it offers more protections. It gives consumers some rights about you know, their data not being used, receiving their data, uh, and it potentially makes life more complicated for companies because GDPR also gives consumers rights for something uh, like explanation. And uh, exactly what it means is, uh, I think, still under debate. I think interested listeners can read my blog called the Does GDPR Make Machine Learning Illegal, Mm. Uh, which looks into that. I think the answer is no, it doesn't make machine learning illegal, but the right for explanation may make machine learning more difficult, and exactly how it will play out uh, will, I think, be determined by lawyers. I think the first lawsuits against Google and Facebook were filed 
I think in the first uh, couple of hours after GDPR took effect. So we'll see. So uh, another uh, interesting trend that I'm watching is um, what's been called citizen data scientist. I think this term was introduced by Gartner a couple of years ago. And the idea was that the tools will become so good that any citizen can use uh, them and do data science. Uh, I have been very skeptical of citizen data scientists. Uh, You know, think of it, uh, do you want uh, a citizen, uh, you know, dentist to work on your teeth or, you know, a citizen pilot to fly your airplane? Probably not. I think data science can either be fully automated, and this is a direction taken by companies like DataRobot, H2O, and others that offer kind of fully automated solutions. Or you can have uh, positions that require training and expertise in, in data science, but kind of having People with no training use tools that are semi-automated, I think, is very dangerous uh, because you can easily make wrong conclusions. Just, you know, think of my example with vitamin C and Alzheimer, mm-hmm. which, you know, citizen data scientists would say that was a you know, correct result, but would lack, would lack training and intuition to warn, you know, where they're going in the wrong direction. So now, I think there's a golden age for data science. There are amazing tools that allow one person to do what hundreds of people could not do 10 years ago. But data science, as you know, most data-driven activities with some relatively clear rules and goals, is also becoming automated. Uh, we had a poll recently on KD Nuggets when, that asked our readers, when data science will be automated and the median answer was 2025 so for our data science listeners enjoy this great Mm -hmm. uh period but beware of coming automation uh and in terms of kind of future trends of course everybody has heard many times about deep learning Um, another important technology that i think now is coming um, in the forefront is reinforcement learning and especially deep reinforcement learning. And that, so data science involves really learning from data that has already been recorded, kind of learning from the past, whereas reinforcement learning is applied to agents that are active in the world, that are experimenting and learning from the experiments. And, and this was the key to some recent successes like AlphaGo, that defeated the world champion in Go by essentially learning this by playing with itself. Uh, so uh, one, if I can make one, one more interesting observation about the future. So this AlphaGo was developed initially from learning on um, play of human masters or experts in Go. And later, they developed, people at DeepMind developed a more general version, which they called Alpha Zero. Zero to indicate that it started with zero human knowledge, essentially just played with itself using reinforcement learning and deep learning. And it achieved in about four hours the the superhuman level in chess. Hmm. That was very disappointing to me as a former chess player. It, it took it, I think, three days to achieve that superhuman level in uh, in Go. And uh, this Alpha Zero version uh, played uh, the strongest chess player in the world. It's it's no longer a human. I think the strongest chess player in the world is now a computer. And I think they had a program called Stockfish, which was programmed old old-fashioned style at new old human openings and search tens of millions of positions, 20 moves ahead. And when Alpha Zero played the stockfish and defeated it 
something like 10 to 0. Uh, and uh, I've looked at some of the games, and it made mo- completely inhuman moves. Um, I don't know Go, but I do know chess. So I could appreciate how amazing those moves were. If humans would make it, we would call them you know, amazing examples of human intuition and creativity. But uh, it, I think somebody described it, it would be like aliens landed on Earth and you know, learned to play chess. So I guess kind of looking forward, uh, this gives us a sneak preview into artificial general intelligence. And I have no idea when and if it will be achieved, but if uh, people who will interact with it will probably be hard pressed to understand why does it do uh, what it does. Like that was experience of chess masters looking at how the superhuman alpha zero works. Mm-hmm. It has a completely different intuition. And people who understand Go report similar things that it plays you know, in a completely different way that humans did, have never even thought about it. Not always. I mean, there are still uh, moves that humans can understand, but occasionally it does this completely uh, superhuman move. So that's that's kind of a preview of a small window into artificial general intelligence. Wow, fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, I, I noticed that you have a blog post about this as well, which is very exciting. So if there are any chess players listening or even if uh, you're just interested in artificial intelligence, um, Gregory's got a blog post about data science in 30 minutes, artificial general, uh, general intelligence and intelligence and answers to your questions. So you can read more about this and I'm definitely curious about this. I'm, I'm going to jump onto this and check it out because I'm also a chess player myself. And while I've heard about the, like, it's a very good lens to put it in. I've heard about the developments of, uh, Google DeepMind in, uh, Go and the game of Go and, AlphaGo and AlphaGo Zero, and um, how it was able to win very with like a huge advantage. But at the same time, I don't play Go. I'm not a Go player, and so it's quite a, a hard to relate. But with this chess situation, I definitely would like to know a bit more about that inhuman move uh, of uh, with the knight and things like that. So I'll have a look at that. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and yeah. It's uh, definitely an interesting area. And of course, uh, I'd like to also just recap on the things that you mentioned about the trends. I knew this was a good question. Like, well, you were a great person to answer that question. And you did give us so many uh, tips. So uh, guys and uh, ladies and gentlemen listening to this podcast, here are some takeaways from Gregory's um, answer to our question, uh, how, what to prepare for in the future. AI capabilities are growing. Um, and machine learning as well, but beware of the AI hype. Uh, GDPR, so look at that, the European General Data Protection Direction, which came into May, into action May 25th this year. Does it make machine learning illegal or not? Uh, there's a blog post on uh, Katie Nuggets about that as well. Citizen data scientists, um, what uh, the, that uh, concept was introduced by Gartner, but is it really a, a good thing or is it actually something that is that sounds good but is actually might cause more problems uh if people don't really know what they're doing and how is that related to automation of data science things that are uh, data data, companies like data robot and h2o are looking into um then the fourth thing was data science and automation you're moving on from that so you you had a poll that asked your readers and the median answer was 2025 that's when data science will be fully automated so uh, something to look into as well and look, keep following the trends on KD Nuggets to see how that changes and if it does. And finally, a new uh, addition into this whole mix of AI, deep learning, machine learning, and data science is reinforcement learning. And uh, it's picking up more and more these days. So another uh, important technology to look out for in the future. Uh, Gregory, all I can say is a huge thank you. I know we've gone a bit over the available time you had. Uh, before you go, could you please let our listeners know how they can contact you, find you, follow you, um, get in touch, or just uh, learn all these amazing things that you're sharing with the world? Well, thank you, Kirill. Uh, well, uh, um, our readers, listeners can find a website on KD Nuggets. 
so they uh, can contact me by email uh, editor one the word editor followed by digit one editor one at kdnuggets.com or uh, tweet to at kdnuggets and they can also uh, like our facebook page kdnuggets or our link join our kdnuggets linkedin group mm-hmm. and uh, welcome uh, readers comments submissions or you know blogs we always look for good uh technical submissions as i mentioned we publish two two three blogs uh, per day uh, although currently i have to say already scheduled all the blogs until july 2nd but uh, uh good good blogs will certainly get published gotcha. so so kirill thank thank you very much i i enjoyed the discussion and uh hope to see you again at uh, at another conference uh, somewhere Thank you. Thank you very much, Gregory. Very lovely having you on the show. And I do also hope we'll catch up soon. So there you have it. That was Gregory Petesky Shapiro and uh, all of his amazing and exciting and insightful stories from uh, the years of experience in data science and all of the people he's interacted with, all of the articles and news that he's aggregated through Katie Nuggets and all of the amazing events that he's been through. I'd be interested to find out what your favorite part of today's podcast was. For me personally, it was the example that Gregory gave about Kefir, that uh, situation where a technically excellent system was developed, but it wasn't used because it didn't have a place in the organization. A very telling uh, example and something that um, can happen to anybody, can happen on any project. So it's always important to um, understand, I guess, what you are working towards and the, and learning from experiences such as this one where when they're not even your own you can still learn from it and understand that situations like that can happen and how you can try to avoid them in your own career and of course among the uh, other things there's been there was a lot of very valuable insights that Gregory shared with us so on that note we're going to wrap up I highly encourage you to check out KD Nuggets and follow that website and follow the news that they're sharing get onto their email list so you get all the updates all the very important and uh, most recent updates of data science of course follow gregory himself connect with him if you're not following him already on linkedin i'm sure he'll be happy to get in touch and stay in touch um, and of course you can find all of the show notes for today's episodes at www.superdatascience.com 175 we'll also include a ton of links that we mentioned on the show so head on over to superdatascience.com 175 and check them all out look up those articles look at those polls and see where the world of data science is going and i look forward to seeing you back here next time until then happy analyzing